thing after, of course. Yeah, my finally decided to start recording, but yeah, all good. gentlemen welcome back to discovery debrief a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in star trek discovery star trek picard lower decks and more i'm co-host chris clow and i'm joined by two members of our bold panel of star trek franchise explorers including rachel clow hello and cicero holmes let's get this going your references are good (laughs) oh man he was frightening well uh uh as you can probably tell it's been a while since we released an episode discussion so uh we're actually going to be doubling up uh to discuss episodes uh oh my god is it three three and four or four and five it's four four and five five. four and five thank you episodes four and five of star trek picard season one absolute candor and Stardust City Rag. But uh, first, let's check in with our panelists, as usual. And I do also have to say, I mean, unfortunately, Zach, you couldn't be with us, but 50 episodes. Yes. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. It is. It's apropos that it is a double size episode because it is the 50th. You know, everybody here being such big comic fans, (laughs) you know. So, yeah, I think this is uh, it's, it's perfect. It couldn't yeah. have worked out better. Five zero, Rachel. It, well, the only thing that's missing is that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. And uh, he was very sad that he couldn't be with us for our fiftieth episode. But uh, he's a very busy man, so we 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 had to to get these ones out though because two episodes behind. So we got to keep soldiering on as as it much as it pains all of us to to soldier on without Zachy. But there's quite a lot to discuss in these either way. Uh, but before we get to the episode discussion, Cicero, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, you know, I have uh, mostly recovered. I'm about at 97% um, from from the phage. And uh, I, I am uh, still engaging with Trek via Deep Space Nine. Right. Uh, so I am uh, almost, I'm almost done. And, you know, I'm like... I'm trying to maybe slow it down a little so I don't I don't finish it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I am in. So the last seven, eight episodes, maybe roughly ten episodes of the um, of of the of the series are multi-parters. They're all one connected series of events. Yeah. So I, I'm in the second part of those till death do us part episode 18. Wow. Of, so you're, yeah. you're right at the end. Yeah. Right yeah. at the end of the journey. So what did you make of, uh, 
unfortunately, uh, we lost Jadzia there at the end of yes. season six. Yes. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> wow, Chris. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Put that spoiler klaxon on at 30 minutes for, for that moment. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, you know, it's... It, it's one thing I think I'm, I'm more at peace with it today, uh, than I would have been if I had been watching this series live or close to live. And the reason, the reason being is I understood why it happened as a result of, uh, the incredible documentary, what we left behind, mm-hmm. um, where, where they talked about, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, goofy disputes with with uh you know uh, predatory <laughs> producers um that that create create some of that drama that happens behind the scenes but it, yeah i mean it was really kind of inexplicable how it happened on the show um they did their best to uh present a a uh a, a a valid narrative reason for it, but uh, you know, mm-hmm. it didn't really make sense. But once, you know, like once you got over, once you knew that the, the, the reason that it happened was because of, you know, backstage politics and it, this wasn't necessarily um, a, uh, a narrative. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. A creative decision uh, in the writer's room where they were, you know, this was what they planned to do with the character. Um, it, it made it a little bit more palatable because it just didn't make a lot of sense, uh, in, in the moment. And then to immediately bring, uh, the character back through Esri. Um, you know, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with Esri, uh, as, as a character, but it was just like, oh, that, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I'm happy Dax is still there, but you know, Esri Dax is not necessarily Jadzia. This is interesting because uh, so this brings back memories for me because I I went through DS9 as I've told people on this show before embarrassingly late because I didn't get to it until around 2011, 2012. Right. Uh, and Rachel was right on my heels. She finished it, I think, about a year after I did probably. Yeah. And um, we were over at where I lived at the time and I guess you were looking at Memory Alpha or you were lo- you were reading something on your phone about Dax, and I just hear a question. I was in I was in another room, and I hear a question ring out from the <laughs> living room: "Who's Esri Dax?" <laughs> and uh, I just kind of went, uh, uh, uh. "I had a bad feeling." <laughs> right. But. Uh, Rachel, you were rather, probably still are, rather attached to Jadzia. So I know that that was a moment that you were dreading. But then something remarkable happened where you really became attached to Esri. Yeah, no, I liked them both. So I'm happy either way. <laughs> but you, but you, you seem to really gravitate toward Esri. Yeah, no, I... Uh... She gets space sick. Right, right. <laughs> right. I, I guess I related to her because she seemed like she was kind of like nervous about being in space and be and but she was still like a good Starfleet officer. And so like uh, I I just like that what they did with her character. And they made her so much different than Jadzia, you know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um so 
it didn't feel like they were just like replacing Jadzia. It felt like they were like going forward with the Dax character. And um, so I ended up really liking what they, they did with it and really liking Ezri as a character and wishing maybe we had a little bit more, you know, time to hang out with her, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, in any event, uh, Cicero, it sounds like you're not crazy about Esri. No, no, no. Oh, no, uh, not at all. And and if if that is the case, uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want that to be the case at all. I feel like Rachel. Uh, hashtag Rachel is ah. right. You know, I, I, I love, you know, there's nothing wrong with Esri. Um, but the the thing the thing that I'm saying is I'm lamenting the loss of Jadzia. Sure. Um, because here's a character that was fully realized at this point over the course of six years. And, you know, not only that, but we, we finally war finally got his partner. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, and they just, it was just starting to be able to blossom and bloom, uh, in a way that made sense on, on the show. And then it was ripped apart. Um, and and like so i feel for jadzia i feel for wharf you know because that like there's there were new avenues and and new things to explore with his character that mm-hmm. we were not you know we'll never see um and 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 jadzia was was a great character now Ezri is a fantastic character um as as Rachel said, she is she is a great Starfleet officer, but she is not a soldier, which is something that we haven't really seen. You know, we, we saw it obviously in Deanna Troy, um, but like she wasn't even really well. I guess she be, she became a Starfleet officer, but like it wasn't. No one ever assumed that she was a soldier. Sure, um, and and this is the first one. Uh, especially on DS9, this is the first character that that is an officer that's not a soldier uh, in in that way in the midst of a war. Yeah. So watching you know watching that dynamic and and you know and and the the Esri character is is really great. We get to meet her her mom, um, like all of that stuff is you know we didn't get any of that stuff from Jadzia. So that like that was great to be able to see. Um, you know, some more of the fi- family dynamics of of the trill once someone has been joined. And know? they certainly uh, decided, uh, and I haven't really read a whole lot, but from what I understand, the expanded universe took Ezri and ran with her uh, up to and including Starship Command, oh, wow. Captain Dex. So uh, I think what the what the EU decided to do with her is that she she did come into her own in such a way that she serves as sort of the pinnacle, taking the best from all of her experiences granted to her by the symbiote, and just becomes an ultimate commander, basically. Sure. So it's kind of an interesting approach that they that they decided to take with her. But either way. Well, I'm sad that your journey in DS9 is coming to an end. I am very glad that uh, that you've got the majority of the series under your belt, and now you can complain right along with Zachy and I about uh, where the hell was the Enterprise at Worf's wedding, 
And uh, when Worf went back to the Enterprise, why the hell didn't they say, I'm sorry, your wife is dead? Right. Uh, <laughs> some things that stick out in, in the head about, uh, about that. But, um, well, in any, so I assume then after you finish Deep Space Nine, are you going to roll right into TNG from the beginning or what's the plan? You know it. You know it. Right. I, I yeah, listen. This is this is a, a seven series mission, <laughs> and I, and I have only gotten through three of them. So or so it's a six series mission, but I've only gotten through three of them. So so after TNG, then are you going to watch the animated series? Or are you going to to straight to TOS? No. So I am going to watch the animated series again. So I have I've already watched all of the animated series, and I love it because it is terrible and i and it just <laughs> oh man it just it just makes me smile with glee because the animation is so bad but it's more star trek stories um and that's you know and that's what it's all about it's 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 worth it and and it's the cast right like yeah. it, it is the actual cast so you and you, there and, and there's a couple of gems in there there are there, there are know, but most um, of them are really bad they get they get a little weird. We'll have to if we ever do a TAS episode, we'll have to invite Kyle Sullivan back to, yes, to talk please. about it because I know that he is uh, he's a big fan. Yes. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move right along. So we got two episodes to talk about. So let's begin with what. You're not gonna ask me what I'm up to. No, no I yeah, I took so long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not up to anything. Don't worry. About it. <laughs> I, I, you, you don't normally say too much when I go to you. You're just like, I don't know. What have I been up to? Yeah, I <laughs> so, you to remember. I don't know. Pretty uh, and I mean, plus, Cicero's watching DS9. It's, yeah, I know. We We're not talk. watching anything. So. Not, not really, except Star Trek reruns. But let's start with Star Trek Picard Episode 4 called Absolute Candor. So, Picard asked Captain Rios to make a detour to the planet Vashti, where he helped relocate Romulan refugees before the attack on Mars took place. He goes to the temple of the Kawat Malat, warrior nuns who took in a boy named Elnor, another Romulan refugee, whom Picard grew close to. Uh, and Elnor has become a rather devout member of the Kawat Malat uh, in all facets, including what their belief system is, as well as in combat. He's virtually unmatched, they say. Uh, so Picard goes and asks Elnor as an adult to join him on his quest, and Elnor initially refuses, but changes his mind when Picard is attacked by Romulans who resent Starfleet for abandoning the evacuation effort of Romulan refugees. So Picard and Elnor beam up to the La Serena, where Captain Rios and Rafi Musiker are fighting a battle with a local warlord. A strange ship helps the La Serena win the battle, but is damaged in the process, forcing the pilot to be beamed over to the La Serena. And who is it but Seven of Nine? Meanwhile, aboard the Borg artifact, Soji is trying to find out more about the Romulan ship that was assimilated by the cube and about the destroyer that the Romulan patients called her in the last episode. Narek offers to get her information on the ship, but they have a falling out when he expresses doubt about her past. 
Rizzo tells Narek that he has a week to get the location of the other synthetics from Soji before she switches to her own methods. So uh, this one, um, I thought that it was particularly interesting just because it gives a little bit more context to the scale of the loss uh, of the Romulan system and the Romulan people. Uh, Cicero, just kind of what, what was your overall impression of episode four uh, after everything that happened? And uh, as the person who has watched Voyager most recently, how about that seven? So, uh, man, the A story in this in this episode was a ten for me, and the B story was a like four and a half, five, maybe six. Whoa! Um, And uh, it's so the A story, um, you know, like learning about the the Romulans and and the level of betrayal that they felt as a result of uh, Jean-Luc Picard abandoning Jean-Luc Picard and the Federation abandoning them um, was so palpable. And then the, the feeling of helplessness that Picard felt because, you know, with faced with the fact that in spite of what he knows, in spite of his best, best efforts, the, the, the facts are that he promised to help these people and he didn't. So it doesn't matter whether or not the excuse is valid for why he he didn't or couldn't. Um, as far as they're concerned, he failed them. And he realizes that that is also a truth. And he had to live with that. And that was like, you felt that. That was great. And Elnor is awesome. I love that dude. Um, yeah. Um, the the B story, um, while you know I, I'm I'm all about Soji, you know, learning who she is. This this romance that is that isn't uh, between him between her and and uh, whatever his name is. I don't even care. Um, <laughs> like, it's, oh man, it's so bad. It's so bad. And then. Uh, uh, his sister who keeps coming on to him like that. It's, it's not a thing that we're making up. That is definitely how they're playing it. Who knows why they're doing it that way? I don't know. It's it, like all of that is just like whoever made that decision, or at least I hope it pays off. I hope there is, there is a reason that this played the way that it did. Um, otherwise, like what were they thinking? <laughs> it's uh see here's where i don't know if i'm rationalizing it or if it's just genuinely not great i just kind of wonder if there's like a portion of a cultural aspect that we're not picking up yet or if it's just you're trying to rationalize oh, i see <laughs> i mean it's it's just their culture. look i'm not gonna say that it well because we've seen romulan's that have been, I guess, pretty sensual in their overarching demeanor before. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, it's not uncommon to to see Romulans behave that way, especially when they're trying to manipulate somebody. Uh, I mean, case in point, the Enterprise incident in the original series, you had uh, the Romulan commander and Spock got very uh, close in that episode. And she 
it might have been more genuine on her side, but she, she was still trying to employ a seductive tactic to sort of bring Spock into her corner. But these are siblings, right? In this show, right? And maybe that's just they must just be trying to creep us out. I don't know. What do you think, Rachel? I, I mean, I think it's just like villain code, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like you know, incest equals villainy makes us not like them. There's like we have no other reason to not trust them other than their general creepiness. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I agree with Cicero. I think that B story was. I don't know if I would call it bad. It was just boring. It was like kind of more of the same. I thought Mm. Um, it was just like, okay, like things do not seem to be progressing at a very steady clip when it comes to Soji's side of the equation. Right. Yeah. And I think that they just kind of need to remind us what's going on there so that because I, whatever plot is going to happen with her needs some other uh, uh, component to mm-hmm. catch up with it, and they need to remind us that she exists. And so, and obviously, there was nothing for her in the f- next episode. Mm-hmm. So, right. yeah, it was just a whole lot of nothing. I thought. And what about Picard uh, on the planet where the Coat Malad are? Oh, I like that. That was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I agree with everything Cicero said. That, um, you know, you really. You feel Picard's regrets and um, and the weight of his choices and, and, and the actual human consequences of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and Relatively El- speaking. Yeah. Well, uh, humanoid. <laughs> yeah. Humanoid. Um, and, uh, and Elnor, I think, is a really a good character. And I, with the context of the next episode as well, like, I, I really like what he brings to things mm-hmm. <laughs> um well i mean that that's he brings the absolute candor right right it's very, yeah yeah I, I thought that that was an interesting cultural aspect to apply to it because there is something that is undoubtedly refreshing about a complete lack of pretense and the idea that it part of me wonders if part of the inspiration for that might stem from the Kawat Malat having very sort of ancient Romulan roots, because if they're ancient Romulan roots, then they're basically Vulcan roots. Mm-hmm. You know, they have like a common yeah. ancestry to right. led to Vulcan. So if it's not logic, then it's candor. I mean, they, I mean, yeah. I don't know if they're necessarily descended from the same kind of uh, process necessarily, but it seems like there is sort of that rigid devotion to a lack of pretense that is similar to logic, but still permissive of emotion. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, But either way, um, yeah, this one for me, it was, uh, so the pacing of the show so far seems very, at least up to this point, uh, and you had mentioned it, so I'm kind of taking your idea, Rachel, but it is kind of anti-discovery in the sense that it moves far more methodically. And in this episode, it kind of slows things down a little too much from my perspective. Um, 
like you guys, I do like the A plot a lot more than I'm enjoying the B plot. Uh, was, was it in this episode where they decided to skid across the floor of the yes. board? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, please don't yeah, remind me. Was, I blocked that out. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I look, in, in a certain context, I could see that as being cute, maybe, but Narek does not come across <laughs> as the cute. kind of guy. Yeah. Although, uh, hey, people on Twitter seem to call him the hot Romulan, uh, which yeah. is fine for people that. People on that. Twitter are thirsty for anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I mean, they, they are very heavy handedly uh, setting up the, uh, the baby face turn for him. Um, you know, okay. Right, okay. So th- th- that's a good thing. Sister. I'm glad that you brought that up because we obviously know of something that happens in the next episode. That's where you think this is going for right, him. Right. Right. Yes. How, how t- tell me some of your logic in terms of how you think it's sort of laying the seeds for that. Well, I, I mean, I, I, th- I think it's pretty blatant and heavy handed. Uh, like what's, what's, uh, his sister's name now? Rizzo, um, Rizzo, right? Yeah. So, not from uh, Greece, right? This right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, she's twice already said, "Don't fall in love with her." Um, you know, and and has alluded to to him being seduced into, like, you know, he's the weak minded one. Um, you know, even though he's pretty, he he doesn't have the resolve that she does. And therefore, he is more more likely to succumb to, um, you know, letting letting his his cover story become his real story, and and we already see like this goofy love story slide. Like who who does that? Like <laughs> you know, like um, the thing that it reminded me of was we have you ever seen the In Betweeners? No. No, it's no British. black, no black people in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Um, but it's it's a like a British comedy show, sure. Um, and it's it's like a raunchy comedy, like a teen comedy, sure. And there's there's one episode where the main character, uh, it looks like he's about to make it with a a, a girl at a at a it's like a trailer park but they call it a caravan club and he's he's nervous and he just like let's let's fall into each other's arms have you ever did you ever skid as a child let's skid together Uh, and so he takes off his shoes and slides across the floor very much like and then some children take his shoes yeah right yeah (laughs) but i could not get past that like because we had just watched that so oh, that's so the imagery was like, uh. was rather stark in our minds, but so another, I guess another question that I have for you, Cicero, is that you know now that you've absorbed so much of DS Nine, right? Uh, you've seen a fair amount of Romulans at the height of their power. Yes. Uh, does any of what you're seeing from the Romulans in the Dominion War inform what you're seeing here? Um. It. <laughs> It definitely, um, it definitely speaks to the duplicitous nature of, of the Romulans. Um, it uh, coming coming directly off of, 
of DS9, it leads me to believe to never trust the Romulan period. Mm. Um, and yet you still kind of might trust Narek in the future. Yes, exactly. So, so, um, right. And so what, what the reason that this gets muddied for me is because we've now seen that the Romulans had, so they had, they were in a, they were put in a situation that made them at the very least empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the fact that they lost their homes, you know, they lost their homes and, it, and the Vulcans lost their home. So, you know, like, it, like you're, you're seeing, you're seeing both of these species that are tangentially uh, or directly related, at least, you know, uh, mm-hmm. historically. Um, and, and you can have empathy for their plight. And as a result, they become, for lack of a better word, more human, more real, more uh, relatable to mm-hmm. you. And um so so in in a lot of ways Picard very quickly put a put a real face on the Romulans and made them more than just villains, made them more a more fleshed out race. Mm-hmm. Um and and so you can see like e- even if they don't necessarily jive with the way we do things or or will do things in the way that we'll do things they're not evil per se they may do things that are you know a, a little conniving or what have you but they're not necessarily evil and they they've got their own society they've got their own culture and that needs to be respected and and um th- prior to this they they've been played as villains even the 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 um Romulan who came and was when Kira became a colonel and was working while uh you know the few episodes that uh that Cisco was gone mm-hmm. um and you know was back on earth there was a Romulan commander that came and she seemed great and Kira was getting along fine with her and it turns out she was doing something duplicitous yeah so like uh, but you know, now I can look at that Romulan and say, okay, well, that Romulan was duplicitous, but not all of them are. Well, and I think one of the interesting things too is that there is a clear divide that the show is presenting, uh, in the Romulan culture between sort of the upper political class and an entity like the Kawat Malat, right. you know, right? Um, nuances of culture in alien races have not always been Star Trek's strong suit. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ferengi worship money, you know, etc. cetera. Uh, but I like this. I like that. It's sort of showing the, the nuances of a people because it's something that we sometimes forget in our own world. Right. I mean, right. if we're, we we can criticize the response of the Chinese state to the coronavirus and uh, lament that it seems to be a really oppressive political regime, but there are people in that country who don't like the way that they are governed, and we right. need to not lose sight of that, you know. And it's it's the same kind of nuances that Star Trek at its best highlights, but it doesn't always do that through the alien races. And I like taking a closer look at the Romulans like this. I've never personally seen Romulans as evil as much as 
extraordinarily self-interested and extremely secretive. Sure. You know, um, and I like that we're starting to see some of the other nuances, like the um, even the confrontation that Picard had near the end of the episode with the villagers outside of, of the Kuat Malat um, compound, I guess you could say. Uh, you understand where they're coming from, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what, absolutely. What did you think of the way that he sort of handled that interaction? Because he was trying to be – he was trying to be Picard, right? He was trying to sort of extend an olive branch. What did you make of that, Rachel? Yeah, I uh it was fine. <laughs> I'm trying to remember it, Chris. It was a while ago. <laughs> um, Romulan lives matter. So Yeah. That's, that's- I I I guess it was I think that it was empathetic towards the the Romulans, right? Like you get you get why they're so upset. Mm-hmm. Like this, this thing happened and I get why they would blame Picard for not trying hard enough to continue to save them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, him saying, you know, I tried my best. I did the best that I could. I mean, doesn't really like cut it, right? Like, if when your planet got exploded, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's yeah, it's empathetic. It's not like it's not like those Romulans were like you know shifty, duplicitous, you know, playing both sides or something. They're just desperate, they, right? They put their trust in the hands of an entity that said that they were going to be saved. Yeah, and then they weren't. Yeah. Yeah. And something that um, that comes to my mind, and, and Cicero, I don't know if you plan on on reading it, but I started reading uh, the Last Best Hope, which is the Picard tie-in novel, and um, the opening of it starts off with uh, the the then Commander in Chief of Starfleet Command, um, basically trying to recruit Picard for the rescue operation. And so we get to see when command finds out about the the supernova and how how many lives it's going to affect and what planets the Romulan Empire is going to let them go to to evacuate uh, people. And um, Picard has this really reflective moment where he's looking out of the massive window of the commander-in-chief's office over the expanse of Starfleet headquarters and he says that it's it's beautiful it's breathtaking it's like an impregnable fortress that has never been breached and uh just says I can't imagine what it would be like for all of this to just be gone it's almost inconceivable and it would be terrible and uh it kind of just put it in perspective you know the the idea of losing a planet is so monumental and uh, and it just helps to try and kind of potentially think of it in those terms. But then, you know, after that confrontation that he has, uh, that's when Elnor shows up. And I love the way that Elnor was characterized because as soon as he basically decides to help Picard, he tells the um, the was it the former Romulan senator, choose to live. Right, right. <laughs> Such an implicit threat of utter devastation 
And of course, he does not choose to live. And at the end, after he loses his head, Elnor says, I regret your choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's what, just such what, a- what, a, what an introduction. Uh, yeah. to to uh to the show and to the fans and um, what a what a way to do it and it and everything about it was spectacular like it, it, it the 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 quote um the stance the 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 performance but then the the like acrobatic move and and you know three seconds later it was over yeah. um about that everything about that was just fantastic. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a drawn out action scene and this show does not really rely on them, although the next episode gives it a run for its money. But um, that was just a really effective way to introduce him and uh, acquaint you rather quickly with the skill that he brings to the table in that respect, because Picard's not going to be able to do that, nor was he ever able to do that, at least that we saw. I mean, the last really best major fight that we saw him get in he ended up with a knife through his back. Right. <laughs> uh, but um, it makes sense to me that someone of his of Elnor's skill set would be a part of this crew. And the fact that his demeanor is what it is just makes him all the more interesting, I think. Agree. Yeah. Yes, agree. All right. All right. Well, uh, before we move on to the next episode, uh, we knew – that it was coming, but it's still quite a different experience to actually see it happen. Rachel, the return at the very last moment of the episode of seven of nine. I didn't see it coming. I mean, I knew that seven of nine was coming, but I right, didn't know yeah. she was going to be in the ship. You I didn't know that like, that was when she was yeah, going to show yeah. up. Yeah. Neither did I. I was like there she was. And I was like, Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> What did you make of that in the moment? Because we got a brief, I mean, she only said one line before she collapsed, of course, but uh, was that moment rewarding? Did it have the intended effect for you? Yeah. Yeah. Because I I think I was just supposed to be like, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, excited for next week, which. Which you were. Yeah. Which I was. Cicero, the return of seven in that moment. Of course, we'll have a lot more to say about her in a second, but. What was that experience like for you? Well, um, I I kind of knew it was her in the ship because we were running out of time, and and in uh, in the opening credits, right after they they have the main cast, they they the next credit is special special guest Jerry Ryan. So yeah. because because we hadn't seen her uh, in the in the episode up until that point, I knew it must have been it must have been uh, seven or nine. Also, the other thing that that kept happening. Was uh, use of pronouns are are, are very deliberate uh, nowadays, mm-hmm. and and they continue to reiterate, oh, he's a good pilot, um, you know, his ship's about to explode, uh, and and you know, Picard says, get him out of there. Um, so obviously, it wasn't going to be a him. Uh, so. Um, like that part again, you know, was like, all right, I know it's, it's, it's seven, but it was still very cool. I still popped for it. I'm sorry. Using a lot of wrestling terms for, (laughs) for, uh, my feelings on this show. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I still, I still got up for it. I was still excited and, and, you know, and, and it definitely wet, wet my appetite for the next episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Very true. Well, before we move on to the next one, uh, I wanted to go to the memory alpha page of absolute candor and go to the continuity section, uh, because there's a couple of interesting points here. This is the first episode of a main Star Trek series, not to feature any uniformed Starfleet officers. Wow. Wow. That's kind of interesting. I thought, um, while uh, there, the scenes on Vashti, Picard is still a commissioned officer since that's a flashback, and he wears his com badge, but he's still dressed in casual attire. So, kind of, uh, kind of an interesting twist. Yeah. Um, this episode confirms that the evacuation of Romulan citizens by Starfleet was already underway when the attack on Mars occurred. So that might reinforce why the Romulans are pissed off, frankly, yeah. because the evacuation already started, and then it just kind of stopped so it's implied that the federation stopped supporting the established romulan refugees when starfleet discontinued its efforts to relocate any more citizens of romulus i think that that is an implication that comes from seeing the relative tranquility of the planet before and then when picard returns there obviously it's not in great shape Following his impromptu resignation, Picard not only cut his ties with Starfleet, but also broke his promise to support Romulan refugee groups, such as those led by the Kawat Malat. This adds to the notion that Picard was only nursing his offended dignity in the years since his resignation, as he first observed in remembrance. Uh, yeah, so kind of interesting. Elnor mentions Data's pet cat, Spot, though he admits he's never actually seen a cat. It's nice to have Spot given some uh some service spot representation <laughs> right <laughs> exactly and uh we got to see a romulan bird of prey from the 23rd century very clearly a tos design which i appreciated of course and uh we also found out that vashti is in the beta quadrant and that's actually i think the the last episode or maybe it was one of the other ones from picard pretty much established what the expanded universe kind of already did that Romulus is in the beta quadrant kind of on the border with the alpha quadrant. So right. kind of interesting, but let's move along to the well, next. Before we move along, I, w- I have an existential question to ask uh, the two of you, if I may. Yes, please. Okay. So um, I, I was thinking about it as we were talking about this episode and, and, you know, one of the things that I, that I love about uh, you, you both, the clouds. Um, there are many things, but one of the things is is how you both enjoy putting Star Trek on in the background. Um, that it and that it becomes background noise. It's the it's the the warm the 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 comfy spot on the couch for you guys as you're doing other things as you're progressing through life. Um, do you have you? Would you? wind up putting episodes an episode of Picard on the same way you'd watch an episode of Voyager would you put an episode of Discovery on the same way you would uh put an episode of TNG on randomly um you know like what is the rewatchability of like the random rewatchability of of these series so far for you guys um, no, I don't think I would do that because I think that when TV was designed for 24 episode seasons that were going to go into syndication, sure. that there was a certain 
way of making TV that really um, lends itself to being on in the background of things. Uh, like the, so the procedural nature of, of, yeah, of yeah, the shows. Pro- right. Yeah, procedural nature. And I, yeah, it's hard for me to put my finger on, but the fact that there are throwaway, like pure throwaway episodes, bottle episodes, episodes that were made to fill space and save money. Right. <laughs> um, and those are, you know, really good to have on in the background. Um, and I just don't think. I, I would not put Discovery or Picard on in the background as it is now. Maybe after I've seen them 30 times, I'll feel differently. But like as it is now, but I, you know, I would not put any show made in the last five years on in the background. I don't think um, like I, I can't think of one that I would I would be able to like I wouldn't be like, ah, like I'm going to, you know, work on writing my thesis with Westworld on in the background. (laughs) (laughs) uh, This is not going to happen because they're more like, you know, 10 hour movies. Sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I don't think that that's any knock at the, the shows themselves. It's just, I think that uh, like the, the entity of television has changed. Hmm. significantly hmm. chris I'm a little bit, yeah go oh, ahead I, I'm, I'm a little bit different in that i have put discovery on in the background oh okay uh i i think that i mean i agree with rachel partially because i think part of that ability or i guess ease of putting a show on in the background is the familiarity which can only come from repeat viewings right um like i'm reasonably comfortable putting on episodes of TNG DS nine enterprise on in the background because I've seen them a lot Um, with discovery. I find that I might be able to acclimate more to them by also having them on in the background. Uh, And I watched the first season of discovery pretty closely, probably more closely than I watched the second season. Uh, in that I re- I repeatedly watched every episode as opposed to sort of my single absorption of uh, of the episodes in season two. But um, no, I've had uh, the first couple of Mirror Universe episodes of Discovery on in the background because it was starting to become that kind of well-trodden ground. But I don't disagree with the structure being less permitting in the modern shows compared to the ones that came before. Sure. Sure. All right. Well, yeah, thanks, man. Perhaps sure. time but, will tell. Yeah, it, it, it certainly will. But we're going to have to watch for language because we got a daughter coming. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, hey, she's going to hear it from you. Chris. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, language is language. To, it evolves. I was trying to shine spark in Metroid Zero Mission the other night and I was cursing up a storm because right. I don't quite have the hang of it yet. Oh, so yes, you know what? Uh, before we move on to the next episode, speaking of language, holy crap. Uh, that is a thing that we, we, we've kind of glossed over. Uh, episode, maybe you guys don't remember, but episode four was very, very, for Star Trek, very vulgar. And, and, you know, I've, I've already kind of posted my objection to, um, 
the the use of scatology in in the 24th century um mm-hmm. they've they've definitely kind of doubled down on that um at least in in that fourth episode and uh you know it 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 really it's very disappointing to me um that uh that they not only are they cursing well you know obviously they're they're cursing in a way that makes sense to us you know for you know like as opposed to the way bsg did it they were vulgar as well but they said you know they created their own curse words so uh you know so that that way that made sense for the, for their language the fact that 400 years or you know 400 years after i die people are still using the same curse words that I used um, to, to great effect. Uh, <laughs> with the progress. Of right, the right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, like <laughs> that, that's, that's disappointing to me. Um, and, and you know, the, the fact, the fact is that they're like the, the, the writers are doing it for effect is just like, you know, now they mean business because they just use the, they use this antiquated word of curse. Uh, like, uh, uh, man, I just, I, I'm very, very against it. Well, here's, here's where I think I differ from you on it. Okay. Um, we have not heard the Admiral himself use anything, mm-hmm. which I think can kind of be retroactively applied to every other instance in which we've seen him. Uh, I don't think he likes it. And that's probably why we didn't hear it when he was on the enterprise. Whoa. He didn't like it. other than <laughs> they, were, they were on broadcast television, which is why he didn't hear well, it. No, no, no. I, I think, I think there's room for that kind of an assumption. Right. You know? Yeah. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm absolutely admitting that 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 is a headcanon thing that that's an assumption on my part but because he has not elected to do it and he set the tone for his ship uh that's i guess why we we didn't hear it i will also say that linguistically swear words curse words are unusually persistent in languages right that um like they like tend to not change as quickly as other forms of language. Um, So, so maybe they still be using it. Probably not with the same grammatical construction because that changes quite a bit. But I, you know, I know that um, if you, if you, if you start looking up the, uh, uh, the etymology of curse words, they're, very old <laughs> yeah 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 i mean uh, like as it stands the f word um fornicate is is already like three or four hundred years old like but you i know, see where you're coming from yeah. i mean but the ways in which we use it are like are, are, are very different different yeah, it's right. an extraordinary different. right 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 Right. Um, but just in terms of, of this franchise, I see where you're coming from, Cicero. I mean, right. is it is it a trend that I'm happy about? Not really. Uh, I, I don't think I feel as strongly about it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's not necessarily something that I'm, oh, it's about time they said that. <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not Finally. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, that's, that's not my, my point of view. Yeah. Um, but also the the sort of 
society that we're kind of seeing, or at least the portion of the society that we're seeing in this show makes it a little bit more permissible in my mind. Sure. Uh, it's getting outside of the Starfleet culture, even though we heard the uh, the commander in chief drop an F bomb early on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and in the the Picard's la- uh, the last best hope book, uh, we get a rather vulgar exclamation from <coughs> someone who's believed to be the president of the Federation. Sure, uh, but uh, but no, I mean I'm 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 not thrilled about it, but. I guess just contextually. It says more about our culture than I think it does about anything on the show. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, More acceptable. And we only only really saw language come out uh, in Discovery from – Yeah, one time from a very excited group of officers that made a really interesting discovery. Again, which at that point, um, the use made so much sense there. Um, mm-hmm. I was totally okay with that, and I thought that, like, uh, if you're gonna do it, if you're gonna, if you're going to, uh, you know, break barriers, that is the way. In in this show, with that, you know, using that type of language, that's the way to do it. And and yeah. you know, the fact that they're doing it here is, and and the the way they're choosing it is 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 so it's very off putting to me. Um, the irony is that there may be some people listening to this show. Who have come from the Vidya Game Apocalypse uh, show, which uh, aired actually today as we're uh, recording. Um, so, if you are here, thank you very much. Um, but uh, during that show, I um, I uh, 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 in- involved myself with scatology um, <laughs> very very thoroughly. I I, I bathed in it. <laughs> Like like a cheap cologne, so <laughs> so to hear to hear me uh, clutch my pearls when I when I, when I like, talk about hey, it. Right. Wait a second, right. right. <laughs> well, but I mean, hey, look, I I get where you're coming from, and there are people who are using the. Um, the presence of vulgarities in modern Star Trek as something to tear the modern iteration of the franchise down. I don't think that that's a really reasonable critique no. to level at the destruction of Star Trek because right. they say dirty words. Uh, no, that's that's not going to fly, I don't think. But that's just me. All right, well, let's move along to episode five of Star Trek Picard season one, <coughs> Stardust City Rag. In a flashback, and I have to, I have to prepare myself even just for reading this <laughs> because I, as soon, what are you laughing at? What's so funny? You, you, when I, when we watch this. Last night, we're recording this on Friday night. Last night, you saw how I reacted to this. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I just... Go on. I'll I'll explain my problems later. Okay. (laughs) This shocked the hell out of me. Um, Because... 
like it's not necessarily in a bad way. I'm not saying that every single character that we got to know and love in other Star Trek shows should always be uh, living a, a happy ending necessarily. Uh, but this did shock me. So in a flashback, seven of nine comes upon a black marketeer named Bejazel who har- forcibly harvests Borg implants from former drones uh, to the point of torture. Uh, and it's it's kind of horrifying. And that's not the thing that shocked me. The thing that shocked me is people who have seen the episode know is that we find out pretty quickly that the person that Bejazel is forcibly extracting implants from, even taking his goddamn eyeball out, is Echeb, uh, a character who came into Voyager relatively late in the game. He was a, a, a basically a child who was assimilated by the collective, uh, an older child, like a, a mid to late teenager, but was taken in by the Voyager crew and kind of became a, a surrogate son to Seven of Nine. And the show... This the very opening of this episode of Picard in this flashback dispatches Icheb with utter brutality uh, and kind of casts him aside pretty quickly. Uh, so that establishes that – I mean we've already known that the ex-Borg that we've seen in the show so far are looked down upon in the society. But now we also see that they are in a very particular kind of danger. Uh, so Seven is kind of forced to mercy kill Echeb here in the early going. Um, so then the, you know, the episode moves forward into the present where the La Serena finally arrives at Free Cloud, which is where uh, Bruce Maddox is supposed to be. Uh, and we discover that Maddox is being held prisoner by Bejazel, who intends to sell him to the Tal Shiar. Picard's crew planned to recover Maddox by staging a prisoner exchange with Seven as the bait because Bejazel wants all of the implants that are within Seven. She's a very solid source for them. Um, when Bejazel recognizes Seven, Seven drops the charade and reveals her true intention that she wants to kill Bejazel and avenge Echeb. Picard persuades Seven to relent and Maddox is safely recovered and beamed to the La Serena. Afterwards, Seven returns to Free Cloud and kills Bejazel without Picard's knowledge. In sickbay, Maddox tells Picard what he knows about Soji and Dodge, explaining that he sent them to Earth and to the Romulan artifact in order to discover the true motivation behind the ban on synthetics. Once left alone by Picard, Gerardi kills Maddox, saying, If you'd seen what I saw. Meanwhile, Rafi tries to reconnect with her estranged son, Gabriel, who's married to a Romulan woman, but is rebuffed and returns to the La Serena. So this episode presents a rather stark contrast to the last one and uh, is extraordinarily eventful. Um, I know that there are there, there is a segment of Star Trek fans that are pretty pissed about the way that it started not just because of the violence, which I think is an asinine complaint, frankly. Um, 
but because of the dispatching of uh, of a character that was previously beloved. But um, so Cicero, as the person who watched Voyager most recently, what did you make of the way that this episode started, and how quickly did it, or how long did it take you to realize that it was Echeb? I didn't realize it was Echeb until they said it when they were in the in the club. Um, and then everything made sense to me. Um, uh, full disclosure, I watched this episode, uh, in two parts. One, one part, uh, right before I fell asleep last night. And then the second part directly before this episode. So, um, uh, <laughs> directly before recording this episode. So the, things were a little compartmentalized, uh, for me. But, um, once I did realize it, it hit. And, and it, and it hit hard. Um, so, uh, this episode as a whole, um, was, was exactly what I was hoping to get from Star Trek Picard. Like when th- this, like when the show was announced, this was the type of episode, you know, unbeknownst to me, this is what I wanted to see. Um, you know, like draw from all of the stuff and, 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 uh, to that point, remembrance was also exactly what I wanted to see was like to draw from the past, talk about the future, um, involve, like show how the characters, uh, that you, that you knew and loved from 20 years ago, from last century, um, have evolved, uh, in the in the th- in the forty years since we've last seen them, um, and like all of that has been great, and and this episode was just phenomenal. I, I man, I love this episode all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was yeah. gruesome in the beginning, though, very very gruesome. It was, but I mean. <coughs> See, the thing that I find asinine about the the complaints for violence, like people clutching their pearls when it comes to that stuff, is that, I mean, violence is a powerful tool in drama when it serves a purpose. Yes. And I'm, I think that this did. You know, it, it, it really helps to punctuate exactly what these, these former drones can go through uh, because – you know, a certain type of discrimination often results in brands of terrible violence, mm-hmm. and uh, you shouldn't shy away from that. So uh, I, oh no, 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 yeah, go ahead, finish your thought, man. I'm sorry. No, I did. Oh, okay, awesome. So I, I was just gonna say, like, those people that say that, and I haven't, I haven't, uh, you know, dove into the the weird corners of the internet that you have to to get those inform- to get that information. <laughs> um, but like for those people that say that. They've got to remember something. Uh, all the Star Trek that they've witnessed and, and seen up until Discovery has been on broadcast television. Imagine, imagine if these were on, you know, imagine if any of the Star Treks that you knew could have been broadcast on premium cable because this isn't basic cable stuff. Like, you know, the streaming service is not basic cable. This is premium cable. If we're going to, if we're going to draw an analog to uh, the television of, of yesteryear, if these Star Treks could have been on HBO or Cinemax or Showtime, these types of things would be things that you would have seen 
in those episodes. Maybe you wouldn't have gotten uh, the level of cursing that I just bemoaned in 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 uh, you know about the previous episode, but you definitely would have gotten uh, things that were uh, graphically descriptive in in this way. One hundred percent. 100%. So like those people really need to understand that the medium is is helping to articulate a story in a visual way that they weren't able to do before with with this franchise. Well, and um so this was also a complaint that was shared directly with Michael Shabon on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And Shabon actually wrote a rather uh lengthy reply criticizing the choice to portray Ichab's torture and ultimately his death. And uh, this is what Michael Shabon says, showrunner of Star Trek Picard. I am not unambivalent about the violence myself. The choice was not made lightly, though it was made collaboratively and therefore with a good deal of conversation and debate among the creators. And so I assure you that it is not there simply, quote, because we can or because we are trying, as you somewhat uncharitably put it, to be in my partners would all have their own reasons for its presence in this story as some of us have had our own reasons for shying away from it for me it came down to this there has always been violence and even torture in star trek sometimes that violence has been implicit sometimes explicit according to the dictates of censorship the nature of the situation being depicted the aesthetic of individual creators or technical and or budgetary limitations and the reason that there has always been violence in Trek is that Trek is art. And there has always been violence, implicit and explicit, in art. It belongs there. It belongs in any narrative about human beings, even human beings of the future. Violence often is the narrative, its source, its engine. The question of whether it's too much or not is ultimately a matter of taste. Personally, I come out closer to the less is more end, but that's just me. In the end, I saw how little time and space we had to convey a sense of Seven's history post-Voyager and the things that drive and haunt her. I decided with my partners that intensity was warranted. Seven lives outside the rational confines of the Federation because that is where she finds her sense of purpose. But life is hard out there. If it wasn't, people wouldn't need her help so badly, and she wouldn't have found such a compelling reason to carry on in spite of her history of trauma. But I hear you. I think that's a pretty solid way of putting it. Yeah, it's a lot more eloquent than uh, the way that I put it. Um, and yeah, I think we said the same thing, but he said it better. <laughs> well, he's a writer. That's that's what he does. Rachel, you were uh, you didn't seem to care too much for the way that this one opened. Particularly, <laughs> I hit my face. Yeah, you. So I don't know about the violence. I did not watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly, I did see the eyeball get cast aside, but I really do not like eye things. And yeah, like, um, eyes being removed is a. I mean, I don't. There's probably nobody who's like, oh, I, I love eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but i i don't know like i tend to like react to that a little bit more strongly than maybe other forms of violence for some reason just mm-hmm. i don't know like i'm like my eyes did you um, did you as as shabon contends did you get a sense of what drives seven after seeing that yes i i felt like because it was so horrifying it really drove home her motivation um it drove home how 
dangerous these people are mm-hmm. so that we have a sense that you know Maddox is in danger yeah. <laughs> like they yeah. like they will like they don't have a lot of like respect for like life or whatever like they're not good people mm-hmm. um so we're uh like it was it was very effective and i i don't i don't think it was gratuitous at all i think probably you know like uh i mean speaking of i things like isn't in best of both worlds doesn't don't you see them like doing something to picard's eye right in first contact you see a needle come up and just about pierce it okay yeah that's what i'm thinking of yeah but like i don't know that could have like I mean, as a kid, that freaked me out just as much as this would have. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it doesn't always have to be explicit violence to be, like, horrifying. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I agree with Michael Chabon. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I was laughing is because the word bejazel is, like, really hilarious to me. <laughs> It sounds like vajazzle, <laughs> which is like it was some sort of trend which may not have ever been real, but it was like where you apparently got like like uh, like diamonds or something. Like, I have no idea where she's going. With this, but <laughs> oh, uh, like, yeah, I think I do. Where, where you got like like rhinestone stickers or something put by your vagina to yes. like. Vajazzle it, vajazzle it. Yes, like when you got like a um, like sounds, a bikini wax or something. Yeah, sounds uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, it doesn't sound great, but like, <laughs> um, I don't know. And I and like, I feel like it was never really a thing. Like, but like for some reason, so every time I heard the word bajazzle, I just was like, <laughs> you know? and like the first time you hear it is after like, like there's this horrible torture and then like seven comes in and like the woman who's like torturing this guy is just like bajazzle. I'm like, and I don't know what that word is. Like, I'm like, what did she just say? <laughs> <laughs> I understand. And so I'm like, I just went from like this like it was like a weird whiplash thing for me where I was like horrified and hiding my face and then I'm like what huh and like I it was it was weird but so yeah I mean but I actually like I really I really like the character of Pajazel I think that that character really like fit that word like it's <laughs> <laughs> like, a good name for her but jazel wood vajazzle is that I what think, you're saying i think she does like i think she does uh, but i think just like her whole costuming and the the work of the actress like how they how they had her like um sort of decked out and just the way she did the performance like i think that you really like like i felt like i like knew that person yeah. Right. really hmm. well and that right. you know she's horrible but she's sort of glamorous and mm-hmm. um so yeah all right 
Well, that that went all around. Sorry, that's that's okay. Uh, we got we got room to 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 go around in, in a couple of circles. So when Chris here. doesn't have like really pointed questions, <laughs> this is where we go. <laughs> oh man! Well, um, before we move on to some other segments of uh, of this episode's plot, let's let's talk a little bit more about Seven of Nine herself. Sure. Uh, this was a rather interesting look. Obviously, it's the most fully featured look that we have at a primary Voyager character after they get back from the Delta Quadrant. The only other character that we know anything about, really, is uh, is Janeway herself. We know that she became a member of the Admiralty, but that's about all we know about her, at least as established in continuity. Uh, Cicero... Seven of Nine, her countenance now seems very different than the last time we saw her, but it still seems like the determined core and former dronishness that she has is intact. Uh, what do you think about the way that Seven conducts herself now? I um, I love the performance. Um, it, it, it rang true to me. Um, again, like just every aspect of this episode, I loved, uh, and, and, uh, as, as we talk about Bejazel, as Rachel, uh, brings it up now, I can't stop thinking about it that way, but, um, <laughs> but, um, Sorry. yeah, no problem. But Jazel's, the performance was amazing. Uh, I was struck by her resemblance to a young Deanna Troy. Um, and, you know, and maybe I, maybe I was the one that was just seeing it, but it looked like if it looked like the spitting image to me of, of Deanna Troy, a, a young, a young Troy in, in, uh, uh, just, just facially. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, the but performance, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. But evil. Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Like you know, her daughter, you know, she she chose the opposite. <laughs> um, my, you go left, I go right. Uh, so the the uh, the performance of Seven was was incredibly believable. Jerry Ryan was great. I, I you know, like I remember reading the the interviews that that she had where she was talking about how um, the performance it was you know it, the performance was. It was seven, but it's not seven, but it is seven, but it's not. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and like, I thought that was, you know, I thought it read a little pretentious to me, but I understand it better now. Um, Sure. And and like, and she was right, you know? So, um, yeah, like uh, the level of um, familiarity familiarity that I have with, like, terrible with that word um but but uh, uh you know the just just how familiar i am with that character um and being able to see her now and and kind of like being able to fill in the blanks uh between the last episode of voyager and and this particular episode um all of that came through in the performance and in the conversation and the you know the short pieces of exposition um it it like Okay, like I'll, I'll be happy to see her again during the course of the season, which I'm sure we will. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, I, I, I would assume so. Rachel, what did you make of seeing just seven in this episode? Because you're not someone who's absorbed a ton of seven of nine, but you obviously know who she is and you enjoy her as a character generally, don't you? Yeah, I have good memories from the one time we watched Voyager. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like I felt like I liked her as a character. Um, and she was definitely recognizable. Mm-hmm. Uh so I remember you had expressed concerns from the preview saying that she seemed really different. Um, but she, I think in the entirety of the performance, she didn't really seem that different. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can, you can see where the character is coming from. Um, I like that. She didn't have to wear the cat suit. Yeah. Um, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, um, I thought it was interesting that she was coded as queer. Mm, yes, uh, yeah. With, I mean, obviously her and Bejazel were having some sort of relationship that seemed maybe beyond friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to throw in there. I don't know if that was part of her character before, but I do not recall. Mm-mm it being no. um Berman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Um so that that was cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I just um I I enjoyed seeing her. She was I would like I hope she's in more episodes. Yeah. Uh I was kind of like disappointed it seemed like this was a little bit of a one off and um I'd like to I'd like to see her come back. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think my con, my initial concern uh, when seeing her just because we only saw a couple of lines from her in the the pre release materials, I just didn't quite know what they were going for, and now I do, and um, it's amazing to me that she still rings true as Seven of Nine even though she's gone through a lot as a character. Um, And they did a really effective job again. And I think it goes to the potentially the shock and awe of the violence that we saw at the beginning of it. The expository force of that violence is very palpable and you do understand where she is coming from and why she is kind of fueled by anger. I mean, there's a reason that Batman's origin story is an act of violence, right? Because you instantly know what drives him in every single story that you see. And we're getting a hint of that now with Seven of Nine. Not a character I would have thought they would apply that to, uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think we all hoped that after Voyager got back to Earth, everybody would just go on to live happy lives for the remainder of their time. Right. A happy life really hasn't followed Seven very well. Uh, I mean, whether you want to talk about the fact that she was assimilated as a child and that she was even taunted with the drones of her parents by the queen over the course of that show to, you know, a, a whole random other number of things that she endured that we got to see, uh, 
it's 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 a tragic story for her and it's it's too bad that tragedy continues to follow her but you can't say that it is not compelling i think and uh i hope that we haven't seen the last of her because the thing again that i feel this show is doing there is a, a distinct lack of uh hope and I know that there are some people that are using that against the show too, except of course, in one very, very, very pivotal key instance. And that is the man at the center of the show. Um, I mean, he's the embodiment of that and you even see it. I think it's really beautifully expressed with captain Rios because Rios puts on this exterior facade and we see it very directly in this episode where he's trying to reason seven out of killing Bejazel in that instance, right? Right. He doesn't want Bejazel to die, but he's presenting the information in kind of a cavalier Han Solo-ish kind of way where he's not really that invested. But if anything, we know, first of all, that Rios is kind of starstruck by the fact that he's with Picard on a regular basis. (laughs) And as you should be exactly. And he is really kind of living up to the expectations that Picard would have for any other officer that has been under his command. Mm -hmm. So I have not seen anything from Rios to make me think that he is the scoundrel that he portrays himself to be at all. I see exactly the opposite. When I look at Rios, I see far more of a Will Riker than I see a Han Solo, you know, even though he is trying to come off as a Han Solo. And in, in the context of Seven's character, that's the kind of just hope and devotion that Picard inspires. And you see that in different flavors in every member of the crew that's been assembled here. And the fact that, you know, the Federation has lost its way and some of these people have strayed. They're all being brought into Picard's orbit. So people that accuse this show of being hopeless, frankly, are wrong. We're seeing a rebirth of hope just from an unexpected direction. And I and I kind of believe that that's going to apply to Seven by the time we're all said and done with the first season. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's my read on this show so far. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're wrong at all, Chris. I think, uh, you know, in fact, what you, what you've gone, what you've, uh, been able to articulate so masterfully is the fact that, uh, what we've seen d- during the course of the show, uh, so far is that the Federation is no longer the Federation. Um, uh, you know, dogs and cats are sleeping together. There is math hysteria. Um, but on, uh, the La Serena, there is, is that the name of the ship? The last yeah. arena? Yeah. Um, the Federation exists. And under, under the command of Jean-Luc Picard, as, as it should be, um, except these are Starfleet. Uh, it, this is Starfleet just removed from the constraints of the rules of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. So without the, without the laws, but with all of the morals, yes, uh, and and 
and that's what we're getting out of these out of these characters um but there is this uh it is it is that coupled with lost in space as we start to find out during the course of this episode Right. And the only person who seems a little askew from the morals, at least right before the very end of the show or of this episode, is Seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, But again, I don't think her journey is over. But let's talk about the other turn here. Right. So we get to see Bruce Maddox, who is not played <laughs> by the same actor, um, unfortunately. But I mean, it's casting. Who knows? Stardust City Rag, also great title of an episode of any episode. <laughs> Great. Yeah. yeah, very true. But um, so let's talk about the so so in the last episode discussion we discussed briefly uh Narek maybe having a face turn, but we saw potentially a heel turn at the end of this one. So Bruce Maddox, you know, he's he's basically serving as a plot function. Um and once his function is finished he's murdered by Agnes Gerardi. Uh, what? That is also his girlfriend. Apparently. Right, 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 exactly. yeah. uh, you guys called that. I mean, you know, uh, Oh, sure. I mean, props to you guys. They, they kind of laid the seeds for something with her, but I even said it in the moment. Okay. I expected her to do something, but I didn't expect her to kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Was oh, she, she, she ain't done killing, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it definitely was intense. So, I guess my question to you guys is: Did you see a, a heel turn of this extent coming for for Doctor Girati, or was the extent as surprising to you guys as it was to me? Yes, it was surprising. I thought she was going to feed information back to. Admiral Sunglasses. Um, Commodore O. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Admiral Sunglasses. (laughs) Um, I thought she was going to like tell on them or feed some sort of information or do something like that to Mm -hmm. in that vein of like spying or something. I was not anticipating murder, (laughs) especially since she's sort of like, uh, doesn't know what's going on ever in the whole like yeah. she doesn't know how to like use the comm system or the transporter terms or the transporter and the you know the EMH is trying to diagnose her with anxiety or something because she's about to kill someone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which fair um maybe the EMH should uh, be able to interfere in that situation I don't know um. <sighs> But so maybe on a starship he would have been able to. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, that aside, it was just like the image. I really don't like. I mean, I I like the character. I like what they're doing with it, but like, I don't like her as a person. Like, I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty like disgusted with her. So. Um, I guess they're doing a good job in, in that in that respect. I guess so. Yeah, because yeah. I'm like, just at least be like a competent villain, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't even kill someone correctly or at least quickly. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cicero, what did you make of uh, of Dr. Gerardi murdering Bruce Maddox? Well, I knew that she had to because there was so much information she was keeping from the rest of the crew. And up until that point, narratively, there was no reason for her not to. Mm-hmm. Um, there, was, there was nothing uh, amongst the crew that led you to believe uh, that she shouldn't trust them implicitly. So therefore... The fact that she was automatically hiding, like she presented Bruce Maddox as a person she heard of to Picard from the jump. So, so, so from the, from the moment they met each other, um, there was deception going on. Um, so she, you know, and you're, you're, you guys were right. Like that she had an ulterior motive. And once I saw that she had a relationship with Maddox, I knew that she was, you know, she was, she was a no good Nick. Uh, and, um, you know, like I knew she was going to have to kill Maddox, um, but I didn't think she would do it as brutally as she did, especially since I think this was like, uh, you know, maybe it turns out she's, she's just a killer. Um, uh, but like, I didn't think that, that it would be that gruesome, you know, in retrospect, I'm thinking about when she murdered, uh, when she killed the, the Romulan in, in Chateau Picard. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that she she just you know she s- exclaimed that I just killed a guy for you, but she wasn't necessarily that affected by it. Um, yeah, next to seven, she's got the biggest body count so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, uh, I I think we're gonna find out more about this character, and that we're gonna find out like she's been beyond despicable all along like the like the calls coming from inside the house (laughs) yeah i mean um i don't see any reason to disagree with you i um i gotta say i mean it's masterful casting allison pill is uh an actress that i had seen before in the newsroom and sorkin show on hbo very Um, very underrated please watch that show immediately yeah, it's a great show. I love that show. I don't like it. <laughs> Why don't you like it? Never mind. No, 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 no. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that right now. Be tuned for our uh, extra show. Yeah, be our after tuned for, for newsroom debrief. Um, <laughs> but regardless, Allison Pill is very good in that show and a very different kind of character, though. And uh, she shows a lot of versatility playing Dr. Girati. Uh, and there is a, a particular brand of, I guess, detached menace that you kind of alluded to, Rachel, where, yeah, she is – I mean, she, does she elicit sympathy when she's doing uh, murder through tear-stained eyes? No. I don't think so. No. Uh, don't murder him. Right. But there's something that's almost like – irritating about how she goes about her menace that I find interesting, especially when we know maybe it's because we know that she's endearing herself to the rest of the crew. Maybe that's where it comes from, but, uh, but either way, 
You know what, though? I like her jumpsuit in this episode. <laughs> like, I think if I was in space, I would probably wear a jumpsuit like that. I just, uh, the costume design in this show, I like it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I don't know who's doing it. Is it is it the same woman who did Discovery? I actually don't know that off the uh, yeah, top of I my head. I don't know, but whoever it is, they're, they're really killing it for me. Yeah. Great. Well, yeah, and uh, you know what? I... I think that's something that's something worth talking about is is the fact that uh like you said about the previous episode where this was the first episode in in uh television Star Trek series Star Trek where there were no Star Starfleet uniforms uh mm-hmm. in an episode um there's so much about this show that's important because it fills in the gaps of what it's like to be a civilian in the 24th century. And that's, you know, like that is something that great sci-fi does. And Star Trek has always been great sci-fi, but it's it's always been great sci-fi with a purpose. And now the purpose, part of the purpose is to, to flesh out the world. And we're getting to see that in a way that makes sense. Like everybody's, everybody's outfit makes sense as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, a cat suit. Uh, yeah. Like the, either the cat suit or, or a, a foil, uh, poncho, you know, like, <laughs> like, like the, like they really, it really shows that they thought about what people would be wearing. Um, uh, yeah. and, and I, I really appreciate that. Let, let me uh, let me wind this down by uh, just referencing a couple of specific character moments that I really appreciated between um, Picard and Seven of Nine. Um, he tries to talk her out of revenge, and sometimes you know those sort of moralistic speeches about how revenge does not serve the ultimate goal can fall flat. It doesn't from Picard because we know that we've seen him in the exact same mental position that Seven is in in this episode, uh, in First Contact specifically, because he is going around murdering Borg drones and he wants to destroy the Enterprise with the Borg still on board to get back at them. So he he has felt that same kind of brand of rage, but ultimately reasoned his way out of it eventually. You know, he was able to let go. I mean, he kind of did in TNG when he met Hugh, but when it came roaring back in first contact, that was a key element of the plot for him to overcome. So I liked that. Uh, and of course, the the last little moment between Seven before she actually goes back to kill Bejazel, uh, and it was it's an interesting way of of sort of framing that where she didn't want to disillusion Picard before she just went back to get her revenge because she was unconvinced by him. But um, they actually bond briefly over the fact that they were both former Borg drones. And, uh, you know, Picard doesn't really have the visual scars to show that he was Locutus at one point. But obviously that is a shared component of experience that they both have. And um, Picard... Seven asks Picard if he ever regained his humanity after he left the collective, and he says yes. But when Seven asks if he had regained all of it, he said no. But we're both working on it, aren't we? And Seven says, every damn day of my life. 
I just thought that that was a nice moment, especially considering that that's an interaction that I wanted to see for a long time uh, and never got to see in live action. There was a pretty decent comic book story that featured both of them together, but either way, I just thought that that was cool. Uh, continuity moments. Um, so this is also from the episode's memory alpha page, despite being mentioned in three previous episodes of the series, this is the first one to feature Bruce Maddox. His only prior appearance was in measure of a man. Of course, this episode also marks the death of Icheb. Uh, as Icheb is harvested for Borg parts. The operator wonders where his cortical node is. In Imperfection, an episode of Voyager, Icheb donated this crucial implant to Seven. So that's why he couldn't find the cortical node, because he gave it to Seven to save her life. Um, and Icheb uh, continued his Starfleet Academy training after he arrived on Earth and served as a lieutenant on the USS Coleman by 2386. And we, of course, got to see the beginning of his time as a Starfleet cadet while he was still on Voyager under the tutelage of the crew. Uh, signs for Mr. Mott's Hair Emporium, uh, Dabo Tales, and Orion Slave Girls are present on Free Cloud. And uh, we also get a mention of Quark in this episode. So we know that Quark oh, that. is still around. Rios mentions having worked with Quark and dealing with the Breen in the past. Nice. Uh, so it might have been, I mean, he might have made that up as part of his backstory, but hey. But Cork uh, was the the first person he thought of, so thought that that was kind of cool. Still, no mention of of, uh, of Rom though. No. <laughs> uh, at the end of the conversation between Seven and Picard, at the end of the episode, immediately after Seven says, "Every damn day of my life," a very short, slight piece of the Voyager theme music plays. It's very subtle, but it's definitely in there. I thought that that was a nice touch. Uh, the Tranya beverage that Bajazel offers to Maddox used to be the favorite drink. Of Baylock. So that's a TOS reference. That goes all the way back to the Corbomite maneuver. And it was also in an episode of Deep Space Nine. And uh, I think that's that about covers it. Final thoughts, you guys, on Stardust City Rag, uh, Free Cloud, the action scenes, the pacing of the episode. Rachel, what are your last thoughts on this episode? Uh, I think it was my favorite episode so far. Okay. Um, I definitely felt the most engaged in it. I was I was happy with the pace, mm-hmm. um, although I'm fine with the slower pace as well. But I I liked the action, um, like Seven. Uh, yeah, I was just I was very happy with it, mm-hmm. and I, I like the crazy costumes. Oh, one thing I should ask you about, and I'll just throw this whole talking point to you. We learned quite a bit about Raffi in this episode. I, oh, yeah. I failed to mention that. Yeah. What did you make of that element of her character, especially her history with her son? Um, that was really sad. <laughs> uh, that he was like, she must have really hurt him because he was very, uh, very closed off and very unwilling to hear her out. Mm-hmm. Um, and. That was that was just sad for everybody. I think. Um, just, Does it endear you to her? Um, I, it explains to me more of her character that she got so deep in this that she kind of uh, neglected her family and, and to some extent. They're looking at her like a, she's part of QAnon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and was also. I mean, she seemed like she had some substance abuse. Yeah. Um. So, uh, 
yeah, I think it just, it fills in kind of more about who she is, is that she's, um, <coughs> she's very troubled. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Pretty badass grandma though. Yeah. <laughs> she vapes. <laughs> Vaping yeah. grandma. Vaping grandma. No, mm-hmm. no, no, none of our babies' grandmas vape. No, nope, thankfully. <laughs> uh, but good. Yeah. So far. Yeah. Yep. Cicero, final thoughts on the episode. Any thoughts on Rafi you want to share? Maybe anything I failed to mention? Uh, yeah. So I, the the thing that I was going to do with my final t- thoughts was dedicated uh, all to Rafi and her character uh, in the previous episode. In the previous episode of Debrief, I talked about her demons and mm-hmm. and how uh, the, the, you know, working with Picard, working with JL um helped her keep her demons at bay uh that was something i think that was something that that she revealed i'm i'm assuming to uh jean-luc and that uh created uh, an extra level of intimacy between the two of them um and you know you kind of you kind of felt that uh seeing seeing her say her goodbyes to Picard before she beamed back before she beamed down to the planet was, was heart wrenching um, because you could, you could, you could feel what a, what a great performance by Michelle heard um, because you could feel the, the, the longing um, the, the want to, to stay, but knowing that she had obligations that she had to take care of that we, we got to understand when she went to go see her son. Um, and then, to see uh, her reservation and elation in seeing her son and having a conversation and trying to uh, understand uh, or, or trying to create, to bridge that gap, that emotional gap that's clearly there and her understanding and her, or her willingness to accept the fact that, that the, the reason that 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 chasm exists is because of things that she has done um whether you know whether uh deserved or not it's it's again kind of like uh, kind of like Picard with the with the Romulans that it doesn't matter whether she whether she did it intentionally or if it was just a happenstance, it was just a, a you know, just a, 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 a casualty to what was going on. It did not matter to the person she cared about. Um, the fact is that she failed them. Um, mm-hmm. And, and part of that has probably has to do with, it sounds like some substance abuse, some of the demons that, that she had, the other part of it had probably had to do some somewhat with the duty duty that she had to again to the Romulus to Romulus to the the promise that she and Picard made um and and watching all of that kind of fall apart and her having to deal with the fact that her son is justified um even you know much to her dismay justified in shunning her and and kicking him out of kicking her out of his life when he is about to provide the greatest gift a another child a, the furthering of her gene pool um to the to the world and she can't be a part of that uh, it's it's heart-wrenching um but uh again she she is comforted even through the door by Picard and so we'll be able to see that uh relationship blossom um I'm um, like Rachel this was my favorite episode 
if you couldn't tell. Yeah. Sure. No, I mean, Rafi is quickly becoming one of my favorite characters on this show. Uh, I'm really interested in the journey that she goes on. And um, even the expanded universe material is limited as, as it is so far. It leverages her character in really interesting ways. So, um, you know, if you haven't read the Picard countdown tie in comic book series or the last best hope novel, I absolutely recommend both of them. Uh, just good information. And it shows how resilient a character she is. Um, only final thought that I have is that, uh, I patch Jean-Luc and, uh, <laughs> that preposterous French accent uh, that, he, that he put on was absolute joy and i look forward to seeing uh pictures of that cosplay out of las vegas as well as uh sort of pimp style captain rios Uh, (laughs) looking forward to that and shout out to actor dominic burgess who valiantly played mr vup in this episode mr vup was a memorable guy and uh i think He's dead now, isn't he? Or may- no, he's still alive. Maybe well, we'll no, see. He, no, he got yet. shot in the back. Did he get shot? Or did yeah, no, yeah. Shot? oh yeah, well, yeah. Right, Mister Pup. Yeah, uh, we he's, will. Maybe he's just stunned. <laughs> well, Helpful. either way, we will. We will always remember Mister Pup. Uh, Rio shot first. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've we've come to the end of episode fifty. You guys, we've done fifty of these. That's insane. Um, but, you know, thank you guys, of course, for, for sticking with the show and being a part of it. I really appreciate it. And, of course, to every listener out there who has given us a chance, we really, uh, we're, we're really gratified that you want us to be a part of your journey in experiencing new Star Trek. But that is going to do it for episode number 50 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you were to review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed as we get together next time to discuss Star Trek Picard Episode 6 titled The Impossible Box. But until then, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. Mm-hmm.